What a joy it is to worship and to celebrate the living hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Uh, starting a brand new sermon series this morning. I invite you to turn to Colossians, a New Testament book. Colossians chapter 1 this morning. It's a fairly short book written by the Apostle, the Apostle Paul. Colossians chapter, chapter 1. Uh, we've titled this series, Christ Alone Completes Me. Uh, because that's really the heartbeat of what Paul is writing to this church. Christ alone completes me. Uh, let me just ask a question real quick. How many of you enjoy, maybe enjoy, putting puzzles together? Anybody enjoy a good puzzle? Uh, I love puzzles, although I am colorblind and struggle mightily with puzzles uh, that have similar colors. Uh, but I love putting together puzzles. I remember my grandmother put together puzzles, and I would go stay with her and Believe it or not, young people, listen. It's not as boring as you think it is. Okay, I would spend hours watching lamb chops on the TV and putting a thousand-piece puzzle together. Anybody remember lamb chops? It was fantastic. Yeah, I'm not going to sing this song because it, you know, it goes on and on. Every, anyway, so I loved, it. I loved putting together these puzzles. And my grandmother, man, she was a pro. She could put a thousand pieces together like in an hour. I mean, she was just awesome. Not really, but she was quick. She was quick. Uh, I was a young child once, and I had a Ninja Turtle puzzle. I loved my Ninja Turtle puzzle. Huge puzzle. Had big pieces, 30-piece Ninja Turtle puzzle. Actually, it was 28. 28-piece puzzle, big, real easy for a kid to put together. I would put it together weekly, daily. It would be put together, be picked up, put in a box, put together, picked up, put in a box. I just did it. And then I remember the day that I put it together for the last time. And it was missing a piece in the middle. Anybody have ever been to the end of a puzzle? You get to the end of a thousand piece puzzle and you're missing a piece, you're emailing the manufacturer because it's not your fault, right? Yeah, but I was missing Leonardo's head on my Ninja Turtle puzzle. I was so angry as a young child, maybe a little temper problems, anger issues, I looked and blamed my brother because he would do something like that, okay? Would go and I looked under the couch. I looked in the closet. I tried to find the phone number for the manufacturer as a seven-year-old to send me a new Leonardo head in my puzzle. And I was so frustrated because it was an incomplete picture. And my little, at the time, OCD, I had to have a complete picture, okay? It had to be complete. And so that was the end of the Ninja Turtle puzzle. At the age of like 16. <laughs> nah, that's a joke. That's just being funny. Yeah. Life is a lot like a puzzle. Okay, I want, you to, I want you to track with me just a second as we introduce you to this letter that Paul writes to a church in Colossians. Life is a lot like a puzzle. I would say everyone here, me, you, we're all trying to find pieces to put together to complete our life or find a picture of our life that maybe we've dreamed of. Maybe it's a picture in a magazine or, or something. Your life, everybody has a picture of your life and you're trying to put together pieces. This house, this spouse, that rhymes, that's cool. You know, all these different things we're trying to put together to complete the picture of our life. 
but we get to stages, maybe we think we have a completed picture and then it's like, oh, there's still something missing. I still gotta have this, I still gotta have this. And it can be frustrating. And we can keep searching and we can keep trying to look under the couches and go to the closets and we can try to find all these different places because we want to have that picture perfect life. And so we're, we're searching to fill in that missing piece. Colossae is a town in Rome. It is a small town, just like China Grove. At one point in history, it was a big town. It was a thriving town, uh, but it, it had become eclipsed by Laodicea. And then uh, I'm going to butcher this, her, her populace over here. It's kind of like China Grove can be eclipsed by Charlotte and kind of Raleigh over here. We're just a small town in between these big towns. That's Colossians. It is a thriving church. Uh, it's a growing church, but it's just a small town church. But it is a part of the Roman government. It's a Roman province. And, and here's kind of what that looks like. Rome was okay at this point in time with pretty much any kind of faith. Any kind of religion was allowed as long as you didn't make yours the main one. As long as you didn't try to force your beliefs on anybody else, Rome didn't have a problem with that. Uh, so you, places like Laodicea, Philippians, or, uh, Philippi, and Colossae, they have a smorgasbord of religions. Okay, they've got the Roman gods. They've got Greek gods. They've got the worship of angels. They've got Judaism and the dietary laws. There's all these different faiths. And so what happens in towns like this is you begin to have like a Build-A-Bear theology. Anybody ever been to Build-A-Bear? It's, it's actually a terrible place, but anybody ever been? Uh, the reason Build-A-Bear is a terrible place, never mind, doesn't matter. Uh, Jennifer's not here, but she'll watch it and it doesn't matter. Build-A-Bear, build it's a Build-A-Bear theology. We're going to take this skin of a bear, we're going to put this outfit on it, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. All these different people, they just pull from all these different religions because they want a complete faith. They feel like if you add all these things together, it can be complete. It's like I've told the story of a guy I know who had spent time as a Protestant. He had spent time as a Catholic. He was planning on becoming a Jew. He was going to become a Muslim at some point. This is a true story. I knew this guy. He did all these things because he, and this is what he said. He goes, I want to make sure when I die, I'm covered. Right? But he wanted a complete faith. He was trying to put all these puzzle pieces together to find security, to find salvation, to find these different things. That's kind of what's happening. And so Paul finds himself in prison. Uh, a guy named Epaphras and probably Philemon, they go to visit him from the Colossae church. And they talk about how good the church is, but they talk about the pressures that are being implemented from outside the church and all these different things that are creeping in. Okay, it's called the Colossian heresy where it's, uh, you've got Jesus and that's great. This is not a rejection of Jesus. It's Jesus plus. That's the false teachings. It's Jesus plus Judaism gives you a complete picture of your faith. It's uh, Jesus plus the worship of angels. It's Jesus plus Gnosticism. It's Jesus plus the Roman gods. It's Jesus, it's like Disney plus and all this other stuff. Yeah, it's like all Jesus plus is going to give you the firm, complete picture that you are looking for. But all of that is undermining. Watch this. Listen, for the people, young, first generation church, 
It is undermining the sufficiency of Christ. It is undermining the security and the satisfaction that they have found in Christ. And so Paul decides to write a letter where he is going to focus on what we would call in theology as Christology. This may be the most profound book in all of the Bible about Jesus. Second to to this would be John, but this is even more profound than what John writes because it is entirely about who Jesus is and why it's not Jesus plus, it is Jesus alone completes your spiritual puzzle. And so this is what he picks up with. And, And as we read this, and especially the opening, the whole first chapter starts with Jesus. He attacks the heresies in chapter two. And he's gonna start at foundational principles with the gospel. So here's what he says. First, he gives his his typical greeting, thanking the church, introducing himself. Verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God, our father. So it's Paul writing to the church in Colossae. Here is his thanksgiving. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ, uh, in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned, uh, you learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has told us about your love in the spirit. So this whole thing is about Paul being grateful for the gospel. And there's three insights, three things that I want to share with you that he is grateful for. The first is this. Paul is grateful for the church's response to the gospel. He says, I am thankful for your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what happened. Uh, Paul spent about two, two and a half years in Ephesus. A guy named Epaphras and Philemon, they went and heard Paul. It's kind of like going to a Billy Graham crusade. You go from all over to the crusade. Paul's ministering in Ephesians. So uh, Epaphras comes, he hears, Epaphras is saved. So Epaphras goes and starts a church in Colossae. Paul's never been to Colossae, okay? Paul's never visited. He only knows what he has been told, but this is a church planner who is impacted with the gospel and he goes to impact his small town with the gospel, okay? So he is preaching there and they respond to the gospel in faith. Faith in who? Faith in Christ alone. Okay, not faith. Now, faith is not just a belief in belief. Faith is not saying, well, I believe Jesus. I believe in, well, the demons believe in Jesus. Faith is just a step further than just generic belief. Faith is, I do believe who Jesus is. I believe who he says he is. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was resurrected. But now I'm going to trust him with my life. That is faith because we don't see Jesus. We hear him through his word, but we trust him to save us. We trust him alone for our security. We trust him for our satisfaction. 
that is faith. There's a, a story I was reading this week in an article. Uh, it's, it's not a true story. It's just a, a story that the guy was telling that this uh, house had caught on fire late one night. Uh, there was a child inside the house, and the child made it up to the roof. I don't know how he made it to the roof, but he made it up to the roof. But the dad had gone outside. Now, the flames are raging all around him, and there's smoke just billowing. And all this child on the roof hears is his dad saying, jump. Jump. I'll catch you. Just jump. I'll save you if you just jump. But the the kid is terrified because he can't see his dad. All he can do is hear his voice. And his dad says, listen, I can see you. Jump. So the child jumps falls through the smoke, falls through the flames, and is caught in the arms of his father. That is a picture of faith. That even though we can't always see God, we can't see Jesus, we have his word and we have him saying, come to me, follow me. I will save you from the flames. I will save you from your lostness. I will save you, but you've got to take a leap of faith and let me catch you. And it's one of the hardest things that we can do. We, have, we can say we believe, but have we jumped into the arms of Jesus? Have we surrendered our life in him? Have we responded to the gospel, which says that we are all sinful, that we're all trapped in this roof, we're all trapped in this prison, and that Jesus is the only way to be saved? Have we jumped into his arms to let him save us? That is what faith looks like. It's, it's a picture when Jesus... Uh, is talking to Nicodemus and we talked about this when we were in John's gospel and he says uh, for God so loved the world that's John 3 16 and before that and after that he's got this this picture of a serpent just as the uh, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so too the son of man must be lifted up when the Israelites rebelled God sent snakes the snakes would bite them they they would die almost instantly they repented they cried out to God Uh, So God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and lift it up. And anyone, anyone who looks at the serpent is saved. That is faith. You can believe the serpent will save you, but you have to look at it to be saved. You have to trust it. You have to surrender to it. You have to follow. And so Paul is grateful that, that this community of Christians in this small town had responded to the gospel and that they are because of their faith in Christ. They're in Colossae, we're in China Grove, but ultimately we are in Christ Jesus. That is who we are. And then he says, I'm grateful. The second insight is I am grateful. Paul is grateful for the results of the gospel. So they are saved by faith alone. Their their spiritual picture is completed by Jesus alone. And now the result of that, you see, is love. They have a love for all the saints. People who are in Christ are a people of love. Now, yes, we are to love all people. But this is an unconditional, sacrificial love, and it is qualified by all the saints. So this, this is Christians. They sacrificially and unconditionally love all Christians, not just in their church, but other like-minded churches. That they love them, they cooperate with them, they give to them. They're on mission together. We're we're Southern Baptist. We, We are on mission with other Southern Baptist churches. We cooperate together because we have a love for all 
the saints because the gospel is a unifying thing that brings the body together. It brings white and black and rich and poor and slave and master and Jews and Gentile. It unifies and there's this love. Uh, John tells us, uh, I think in first or second John, he says that they will know you. And Jesus says this too, that they will know us by the way we love each other. In a world filled with so much outrage and hate and demonizing and politicizing, when the church is filled with love for each other, it stands out in contrast to the rest of the world. And I want to tell you, it's attractive. It's attractive. In fact, uh, Paul writes this in Galatians 5. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither the circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplish anything. What matters is faith working through love. Faith alone saves, but love is maybe the primary mark of a Christian. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. If I, speak of, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm just a noisy gong or a cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is our primary characteristic. But we also see here another result, which is hope. We have hope and we have, we have love and we have hope. The gospel gives us a hope of heaven. The gospel gives us hope of eternal life. In a world that seems helpless and hopeless, the gospel brings hope to the pagans in the uh, Colossian city. To be without God was to be without hope. And then here comes Epaphroditus preaching the gospel and transforming lives. And all of a sudden, they have gone from hopelessness to hope, hope that is undefiled. It's not affected by time. It's not affected by, it, it, it never tarnishes. It never gives out. It never disappoints. It's hope. And, and, and hope may be the most important thing. While love is the mark of a Christian, hope may be the most important thing for a Christian. Because when you wake up, uh, students, when you wake up and don't want to go to school Wednesday, my family will be there, all of them. Because I got to wake up early to cook breakfast. I can wake up with the hope that no matter what happens in that day, good or bad, Christ is with me. No matter how stressful it may be, no matter how much things may disrail or derail, I have the hope that Christ is with me. Uh, there's a pastor who told this story. He, goes, he was telling the story about walking in the wilderness and hiking, and uh, he got lost in the woods. He got lost, dark forest, thick forest. He got lost, got off the trail, and the sun went down, and he was lost. Uh, in the moment, he realized that he was a Boy Scout. Always be prepared. So he had a little oil lantern. So he took it out, he lit it, and instantly the darkness around him cleared and he was able to see his path. And he let that light guide him through the darkness to guide him back to the path that he was supposed to be on. 
And, and the pastor goes on to say, he goes, with each step that I took, the glow of the lamp filled him with hope that he would make it back home. Every step he took, the light, and he had a compass, that he would find his way back home. When life is most uncertain, Jesus is the light of the world that keeps our feet on the right path, that gives us hope that on the other side of that mountain, there's something better. The Bible says that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. When we are in Christ, there is hope, no matter how hopeless and helpless we may feel. So as Paul introduces the letter, he's grateful for the response that they showed towards the gospel. He's grateful for the results of the gospel, and he's grateful for the reach of the gospel. The gospel, he says, is going all over the world. It's a little bit of hyperbole because it hadn't reached to the ends of the earth yet, but that is a description of how fast it is moving, how powerful it is, and how transforming the gospel is. Uh, Jennifer drives almost everywhere we go. And here's the difference. We go to the beach. She can get there now in roughly three hours and 45 minutes. I take about four hours and 15 minutes. Hence why she drives everywhere. Okay. Now, I tell you that because it illustrates this. The word he's using is like a traveler that is speeding. She's not here today. Don't tell her this. That is speeding through the world. It is traveling all of these Roman roads. Perfect time for Jesus to come. The road system was amazing. The gospel is traveling, speeding, and it's touching this city and this village and this group of people in this house, and it is not stopping for anything. It doesn't stop at the rest area. It doesn't stop to get anything to eat. The gospel is moving. And, he, and, and, and Paul says, I am thankful that Epaphras and Philemon took the gospel to you and that others are taking it to other places around the world. But the gospel only travels if Christians take it. Don't miss it. It's the people. I mean, think about Epaphras could have just heard, he could have gone to this big gathering in, in Ephesus and he could have heard Paul, he could have had a great uh, spiritual experience and he could have got saved and he could have said, you know what, I'm keeping this to myself. He could have gone back to his little hometown and just not told anybody. But instead, he preached it. Paul it was grateful for the advancement of the gospel, and he is grateful for the reach of the gospel today. It is still a traveler. It is still speeding through this world, through the hands and feet and the mouths of Christians. We have missionaries today who are doing this, and it is reaching new villages and new people. Uh, we have a whole list now of unreached people groups, and we're trying to translate the Bible into those languages, and the gospel cannot be stopped. And Paul is grateful for the impact, the reach, the response, and the results of the gospel. Because it's the gospel that completes our life. Listen, if you've got that hole in your heart, if you still have that missing puzzle piece in your life, you're not going to find it in a drink. 
You're not going to find it in a drug. You're not going to find it on the computer. You're not going to find it at your work. You're not going to find it in your family. You'll only find it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That hole, in, and everybody's got that God-sized hole in their heart. Because the Bible says that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but, listen, here's the but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So as we prepare for this time of invitation, I just want to ask you, has the gospel filled your heart? Are you in Christ? Have you jumped off the roof and surrendered to Jesus? Have you admitted that you're a sinner? And do you believe in him? And then have you responded in faith? If you've never made that decision, I'll be at the altar. I'd love to pray with you. We have deacons that'll pray with you. You can just come and pray. You can pray at your seat. But don't leave here without surrendering your life and letting the gospel of Jesus complete you. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus period. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for our time together. We're grateful for Paul and his letter to this church. We're grateful for this church. Grateful for the city that no longer exists today in Turkey, but it had such an impact on history. Father, as we begin to study it, help us to be reminded of who you are as our Savior. For some of us, it'll be a review, but but Father, help us never to become complacent over the gospel. Help us never to feel like it's Jesus plus, but it's Jesus period. And Father, if there's someone here today who is searching, Father, I pray for them. Draw them into your presence. Adopt them into your family. Help them to surrender your life, their life to you so that you can complete their puzzle. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.